You know, there's a reason in the Bible why is it that music is always so important. And there's something about music that comes to your heart. There's a reason why even when King Saul was struggling, he would call David to play music. There's something about music that comes to your heart. Unfortunately, though, music is not enough. I think there's a reason why for the last five years, cultural critics have been calling the Western world a world that is living in the age of anxiety. That is the description that cultural uh, critics are giving to the Western world. And part of the reason why, why, why they're saying that we are living in an age of anxiety is because there are so many different things that are causing anxiety to this part of the world. Political, social, racial, economic, moral, and relational issues has caused hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to be completely restless. What is interesting, though, is that in the last year or so, the same uh, cultural critics that talked about the age of anxiety now are describing the Western world in a different way. They're saying that not only we are living in the, not only we are part of the age of anxiety now, but we are also part of the age uh, of anger. So basically, we have all kinds of issues. We are angry because we have placed our faith in political figures that haven't been able to change anything. We are angry because we still continue to have the same social, racial, and economic issues that we have been struggling forever. We are angry because it doesn't matter how many books we have written, how many motivational speakers we have heard, how many positive messages we have been exposed to, nothing seems to, to really change. Every now and then we get a glimpse, we get a breather, but at the end of the day, we're still very much in this part of the world, restless. Well, if you're a believer, this should not be a surprise to any of us. Actually, the Bible is super clear that says that in the last days, things will get super complicated. Actually, Jesus himself says that in this world, we will have problems. So if you're a believer, you shouldn't be surprised by the age of, the age of anxiety of the age of anger. But even if you're not a believer, even if you don't believe in what the Bible says, I think that we would all agree in saying that regardless of what the Bible says, just for a second, we still have political issues, social issues, racial issues, economic issues, moral issues, and relational issues, and that has always been there since the beginning, since the beginning of the world. That's part of our history. Now, I think that if you really stop and pay attention to that, there are, there are plenty of reasons why we should be people of anxiety and people of anger, if you actually pay attention to that. But what I want to invite you to consider today, whether you're a Christian or considering Christianity, is that it is possible, listen up church, it is possible to live in a broken world the way it is right now. It is possible to live in a broken world that will continue to be broken and still find rest for your heart. It is possible for God not to change the circumstances and yet be people of peace. It is possible for us to not be controlled by anxiety and anger. It is possible, even if God does not change the circumstances, for us to experience in the midst of chaos, joy, peace, 
hope, love. It is possible. See, uh, during this Advent season, uh, we have been talking about the same things that we talk about every year. We have been talking about hope, love, joy. And today, we want to spend some time thinking about the concept of peace. Because to me, at least to me, at least from what I get in the scripture, that is the one thing. That is the only thing we get to, to be able to not just, listen up, to not just survive in this world, not just put up with this world, but it's actually to flourish and thrive in the midst of brokenness. See, the worst thing that I could tell you as a pastor is that I think that there's going to be a time in which all this is going to go away as long as we're here. That would be the worst thing that I could tell you because the Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible does say is that things are complicated, that are going to get more complicated, and that eventually it will get more complicated until Jesus returns. So what I want to talk to you about today is this concept of peace that the Bible talks about, that it describes it as the peace that goes beyond understanding. It's a beautiful way to explain it. It's a peace that is supernatural. It's a peace that cannot be created. It cannot be fabricated. It's a peace that cannot be purchased. It's not even a peace that can be pursued. It's a peace that is given. It's a peace that is found. It's a peace that is found in only one person, in one person alone. But before we get there, we're going to do the same thing that we have been doing through all this season. We're going to be looking at, at one psalm, actually no, three psalms, that explains this very important thing. We are not the first ones to go through this, and we are not the last ones to go through this. Therefore... We need the truths of the Bible to not just give us something to survive, but to thrive and flourish in the midst of brokenness. Amen? Need you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you, and you're going to say, you need this. Go ahead. All right, let's just start with Psalm 120. We're going to be looking at Psalm 120, 121, and 122. Don't worry, I still have plenty of time. Psalm 120, starting in verses 1 and 2, gives us a description of what God's people are going through. I call on the Lord in my distress. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Notice that the psalmist here is talking on behalf of God's people. And the word that best describes the emotional condition of God's people and the spiritual condition of God's people is the word distress. Which is interesting that the word distress in the original can also be translated as anxiety. These people are talking to God and saying, this is the condition of our hearts. We are full of anxiety. And he explains that the reason why they're full of anxiety is because they're living in a broken world. Full of people lying lips and deceitful tongues. Now the psalmist is going to explain that even more in verses 5 through 7. Look at what he says. Woe to me, or it'll be woe to us that we dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Keter. Verse 6. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but, I, but when I speak, they are for war. Notice that these are not people on vacation. This is people that are struggling, that they're living in the midst of a broken world with broken people experiencing brokenness. What I love about these kind of psalms is that they're super honest. 
Notice how honest these people are. He says, we are full of anxiety. We are in distress. Actually, let's make a little assessment here. How many of you guys are in distress every now and then? Raise your hand. Good. You get to listen to the message. He says, not only we are in distress, but we need to be saved. Woe to us. Poor us. I want peace, but they want war. How about if I tell you that the beginning of a flourishing life Starts with honesty. How about if, if I tell you that the beginning of a joyful life in the midst of brokenness is honesty? Notice that these people is honesty, not crying out to see if God will provide escape. Notice that the attitude of these people is not to run away or to hide from this world because they know that they cannot run away. Notice that the attitude of the psalm, or the psalmist here, is honesty, not distraction. This is not a group of people that are, are, are trying to suppress their emotions, to deny reality, to pretend that nothing is happening, hoping that things will get better. Notice that their approach is honesty, not activism. Yeah, we're going to make a difference. We're going to make this go away. We have the power. No, no, no. Notice that their approach is honesty, not cynicism. Why, why should you even try anything? What a miserable world. Why don't we just give up? Notice that the attitude of the psalmist here is honesty, not condemna self-condemnation. Notice that he's not saying, well, the reason why we're going through all of this is because we are so evil. Which, by the way, part of the reason why we are living in a broken world is because we are evil. But that is not the only reason why we go through, uh, through, uh, through struggles. We go through problems because we live in a broken world. With broken people in a broken world. Now, what I love about this psalm, though, is that it doesn't stop there. See, if the psalmist is stopped there, this is just a complaint. But notice that the psalm does not stop there, beginning that he's praying to God. So the following question is, why is it that in the midst of their agony and distress and anxiety and pain and enmity and all of that stuff, why is it that they're talking to God? So the answer comes in Psalm 121. There is a reason why they're complaining to God. And it starts, we can see some of this in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Notice that their complaint is not just complaint. They are crying out to the one that is the maker of everything. The one that has the power to make everything. The one that has the power over everything. The one that speaks and even the, mount, the mountains melt, the Bible says. See, part of the reason how you survive, if you will, now, how you, how you flourish, so you thrive in the midst of brokenness, is when you know and you are convinced that the one that is for you, your help, is nothing less than the one that is the creator of all. See, I think that sometimes, even as believers, we think that God is a wimpy God. I mean, he means well. No, 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 we're talking about the God that is the creator of everything. He speaks and things happen. 
The psalm doesn't stop there. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Notice that they're not asking God for a distraction. Notice that they're not asking God to help them fix the problems. Notice that they're not asking God to help them run away and hide from problems. No, 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 no. They are remembering. They're preaching to themselves that the one they pray to is the one that never is not, is not going to allow them to be completely broken, if you will. The one that never sleeps and the one that doesn't even slumber. You know what that means? Actually, you know what that means. But to make it a, more, a little bit more real, if you are a parent, you know what that means. How many of you guys are parents? How many of you guys wish, wish you were not parents? <laughs> no, you're too little. Let, let me put it to you. Let, let, me, let me create the image in your head to, for you to understand how, the kind of God we have. See, when your babies were born, actually all of us, when our babies were born, we became freaks about the, the safety of our kids, right? Actually, the smaller they were, the more preoccupied we would be that they would not stop sleeping. Remember that? Heidi and I did that forever, man. Like every night when they were super little, we would go and stand right next to the crib and just look at them. Just to make sure. Like if we can do something. And when we, didn't, we wouldn't be able to see anything, we would do the finger thing. You guys did that? You put your finger right next to the nose. Hold it there for a few seconds until you feel the warm. Guess what? Sometimes we did that, nothing happened. So we're like. <laughs> so then we will, we will do the gentle placing of our hand in their stomach. You guys remember that? So you could feel the movement. But you have to be gentle because you don't want to wake up that beautiful monster. <laughs> we did that for months, man. But every now and then, we were so tired, so extremely exhausted, that every now and then, even though we wanted to be there, we would do something like this. You remember that? Even if you're the best parent, you could never secure the protection of your kids. Because you will slumber. You will do this. But here the Psalms paints the picture of this amazing, beautiful, caring, very aware, and very present God that he doesn't even do this. He's always there. This is how you thrive in the midst of a broken world. This is how you flourish in the midst of a broken world. When we are convinced that our God never falls asleep, never, never is going to go to sleep, never even slumbers. He's fully present, fully aware, fully powerful when you need him most. See, the psalm doesn't stop there because then in verses 5 and 6, 
Look at what it says. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. I love those verses. Because it tells you the reality of what it means to be a human being living in a broken world. It tells you that regardless of what we do, the things we purchase, the places we go, the things that we do, the insurance we have, you're always going to experience the heat of the day and the cold of the night. There's no way around it. You can't escape it. But notice that the psalm says that the solution is not that God gives you shade. The solution is that God is your shade. Yeah, give him glory. Listen, that's what peace is. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is not God taking away your problems. Peace is not him moving you from one place to another so you stop suffering. What the Bible talks about peace is him being present, him being your peace. Regardless of what's happening in your surrounding. That's what you're craving for. And I know that there's got to be at least one person here that says that is not true, Hannibal. I've been seeking for God. I've been coming to church. I've been reading the Bible. I've been serving. I've been giving money for goodness sake. And I still don't have that peace. So if that's your case, I got to ask you the question, though. What is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for the peace that God gives? Or are you looking for the God of peace? Because depends on how you answer that question. Actually, would explain why is it that if you're still pursuing God, you haven't experienced what you're looking for. See, that's part of the problem. And that's part of the problem when we become religious. We think that the solution to our problems is to seek after the things that God gives. That is not the solution. The solution is to pursue God. It is God the one that is peace. Yes, he does give peace. Yes, he can deliver you from, from problems. Yes, he can move you from one place to another. Yes, he can deliver you from your enemies. But at the end of the day, what matters most is that God, the God of peace, is there. I think that one of the, the people in church history that have, have explained this super well is C.S. Lewis. Actually talking about heaven, this is what he says. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You know what that means? Let me translate it for you. Look for what the Lord gives, what the Lord can give you, and you will get nothing. Look for God, and you get everything. That's the problem, church. We want his hand. And he wants to give us his heart. We want his blessings. But we need him. We need him. Even in the midst of a broken world. You know, you know how many times I've, I've thought about this? At least every Christmas for the last 15 years. You know how many books I read about this? 
How many sermons have I preached? And what I learned is that that peace, the real peace, is not just something that you read and hear about. But this peace becomes a reality when you see it. And as a pastor, I've gotten the blessing to see it. I've seen it in the face of a, of a person in a hospital bed right before they pass away. I've seen this peace in the face of a parent that just lost a child. I've seen this peace in the face of a spouse that is saying goodbye to a lifelong partner. I've seen that peace in the face of someone who is walking away from their profession or her profession to serve the poor. I've seen that peace in the face of someone that has a terminal illness and is not afraid to die. I've seen it in people who have lost it all, and yet there is this supernatural tranquility that goes beyond understanding that from a human perspective does not make any sense at all. And somebody got to ask the question, what does that have to do with Christmas? Everything. This is the reason why Jesus came. Because we were frantically looking for a peace, for peace in all the wrong places. And because we did that, peace had to come to us. Isn't that what Luke chapter 2 verse 14 says when the shepherds heard the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Is that the peace you have? You know what's interesting about the word peace there in that text? In the original is Irene or Irene, more closely to the original. And that word can be translated as tranquility or harmony. And this is what it says. That regardless of what you have gone through, and regardless of what you go through, and regardless of what you will go through, because you will go through, it is possible to find tranquility, joy, peace, and the beautiful sound of harmony, even if everything else is going to hell. How? When you get the one that is peace by nature, Jesus Christ, this is why he came. Is that what you have? Have you ever wondered why is it that we talk about this topic every Christmas? Because we're still restless. I'm still restless. Have you ever wondered why is it that every Advent we talk about hope and love and joy and peace? Because in our broken human nature, we still need it. Amen? Do you know why we need to talk about every year? They, uh, talk about this every year. Because even believers need to remember that that's part of the reason why Jesus is called the light of the world. See, Jesus is called the light of the world precisely because he came to bring all those longings we have. Jesus is called the light of the world because he will be the only one that could actually bring our hope, our, lo our love, our joy, and the peace we crave for. This is the crazy thing about light. That once it's on, 
it takes over everything. Why do you think that Jesus came into this world as light of the world? To get rid of everything that is taking your joy away, your peace away, and your love away. Is that what you have, church? Don't you crave that? So how about if this Christmas, once again, we believe in the one that is the light of the world. We believe in the one that can make a difference. We cling to the one that is not just the person that gives us joy, gives us love, gives us hope, and gives us peace. Well, we cling to the one that is all of that. Love, joy, peace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you because we're still living in a broken world. And we're still broken people. And we still need you. Lord, we understand that part of the reason why we need to hear this over and over and over and over again is because we, get, we, we forget so quickly. And we cling to the wrong things so fast. So we pray, Lord, that by the power of the Spirit, you bring us to Jesus once again. And in him we find the hope we need, the love we need, the joy we need, and the peace we crave for. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says...